Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. If you have a pew Bible in front of you, you can open it to page 1031. It's to Luke chapter 5. And then what you may want to do is stick your thumb in a little bit further back in John chapter 21. It's what I want to, the, the, the Word of God that I want to share with you today, particularly with the confirmees, but with all of God's people gathered today. Luke chapter 5 verses 1 to 11 and then John chapter 21 verses 1 to 13. So Luke chapter 5 is on page 1031 and then John 21 is on page 1088 of the Pew Bibles. Let me read to you. Now the reason it's Luke chapter 5 and John 21 is because they are like parallels. They're not the same miracle. uh, It's the same miracle done in two different circumstances and it really applies to us as followers of Jesus as confirmees who are followers of Jesus, as just as the general people of God who are followers of Jesus Christ. It applies to all of us equally. And uh, so to understand what's going on in Luke 5, we need John chapter 21. Okay, Let me read for you. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. Then then when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signalled their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Now I want to turn to parallel miracle. On page 1038, it's not the same miracle, it's a different circumstance, same big catch. 1 to 13. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning of coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. 
So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we pray that as we hear your holy word today, that we would hear the voice of you, our good shepherd, that you would speak deeply down into our souls, that we would hear you and know you and follow you all the days of our lives. We thank you for this opportunity to gather. We pray that you would bless this time now in your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm just going to pick up from Luke chapter 5 again, verses 4 and 5. When he had finished speaking, that's Jesus, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Because you say so. I've got in my head a picture of a kid saying to his parents, why? But why? But why? But why, Mum? But why, Dad? But why? And the parents saying, look at the T-shirt, because I said so. Because I said so, that's why I just do it. Ever said that? I'd love to have one of those T-shirts, so I don't even have to say it. I just have the T-shirt, say, look at the shirt. Because I say so, that's why. So I've got in my head this picture, because I say so, and that constant asking why we have to do things. Why do I have to do that? Why do I have to do this? And the parent has to say, because I said so, over and over again, and it can get a little bit annoying for parents at times. Now, the reason I bring up this whole, because I said so, this whole why, is because what you, when you heard in those readings then from Simon Peter, Simon Peter had absolutely no reason to let down those nets, except because you said so, Lord. He knows what he's doing. He's a good fisherman. They've been out all night and caught absolutely nada, nothing. It's not like they don't know all the good spots to go in the Sea of Galilee. They've been, out, they've been at this for years. They know where to go. They know where the fish are, right? They're good at what they do. The only reason that Peter has, that Simon Peter has, to actually get all the gear out, do it all again, is because you say so, Lord. Because you say so. You know what? The Bible says that's enough. The Bible says that's enough. And so in the context of a church, it could be that in the church we've tried uh, lots of things already in our mission into the community and with each other. We've tried this. Uh, We may have even failed in the past in, in doing many different things. It might seem completely out of the box, the request of God. It might seem absolutely unreasonable. It might even look irrational to see when we read in God's word and think, you know what, I've got no reason for this. I've got no reason to do this. This sounds crazy. We've done it before. It didn't work. But when it comes to Jesus, because you say so is enough. And the big question today for us that relates to followership, to being disciples of Jesus, to the, um, to the confirmees, you guys as well, and to all of us, is... Do you always, ask yourself this question, do you always need a reason to do what Jesus says in his word? Do you always need a reason to do what Jesus says in his word? Because the difference is 
a big difference. It's a difference between being advised by Jesus and obeying Jesus because you say so, Lord. Obeying Jesus, or being advised by Jesus and obeying Jesus because you say so. Because if Jesus is just an advisor, if he's just your advisor, you're not going to follow, you're not going to obey just because you say so, Lord. Jesus will be like a consultant, a good consultant, but he'll be like a consultant. It means that you're in the driver's seat of your life. Jesus is a great consultant. You'll listen to what he's got to say. You'll take his advice, hear it, and then you'll work it in with your own ideas and decide whether that's something you feel like you want to follow and do. Right? So Jesus can be an, a consultant. But to obey means to do something just because you say so, Lord. Just because you say so. So imagine, if you can, what is happening in the disciples' heads in Luke 5 and in John 21. Imagine what's going on in their minds. In Luke 5, they've worked all night, they've caught nothing and Jesus wants them to go out into the deep water like they didn't try that already. Seriously. John 21, the boys are going fishing again and again they get nothing all night. Which makes us think, did they really know what they were doing? I think they did. And now a guy from the shoreline, he's not even in the boat, he's on the shore and he's calling out, did you get anything? No. And he says, well, throw out your nets on the other side of the boat. He's on the shoreline, he's not even in the water. How does he know what's where, where these fish are? What's going on in their heads? This guy's ashore, what would he know? Or, oh, fellas, we threw the net out on the wrong side. If we threw it out on the other side, then we would have got the big catch. As if we didn't throw it off the front, back, left, right sides of the boat already. Of course, what happens is they obey because he said so. And there's a massive haul of fish, 153, and they were big ones too. You know, it can seem like there's no good reason to obey. It can seem totally irrational to do what the Word of God tells you. No good reason. But there's a good reason to follow. There's a good reason to obey when it comes to Jesus. Simon Peter, in this story, he's a real focus for us, like as a confirmation group as well. He's a real focus for all of us here. He has this really strong reaction to Jesus Christ in both Luke chapter 5 and in John 21. A massive reaction. Notice he ignores the fish. He's all about Jesus. All about Jesus. And there's a striking difference in Simon Peter's reaction in both the scenarios. A striking difference in Luke 5 and in John 21. In Luke he does something just because Jesus says so and then he is so astonished, he's so amazed that he has this Reaction to Jesus, he says, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Go away from me. Okay? What's going on in Peter? What's going on in him that he would want Jesus to actually go away from him? And it's the same point in each account, in Luke 5 and John 21, two different reactions. And the point is that everyone who will ever follow Jesus Christ, any of you here today, anyone, everyone who will ever follow Jesus Christ will encounter this because Luke 5 shows us that something that the Bible teaches and it's that getting near to God can be a very, very uncomfortable experience. Getting near to God can be a very uncomfortable 
experience. It's not always what we expect. So I imagine as a confirmation group today, people are going to give you confirmation cards. Hope someone gives you a card, right? You're going to get a confirmation card. And what are those confirmation cards going to look like? They're going to, they might say something in them like, and I'm not bagging the cards either. If you've bought a card, don't feel bad about it. It's actually a good thing to encourage these people. But you think about what the cards have. They've got nice, warm, pastel colours. They might have a, a, nice, uh, a nice stained glass window or something and sunbeams coming through. Hallmark Jesus, right? We've got Hallmark Jesus, near to God, in his presence, stained glass windows, sunbeams, nice, warm, pastel colours. That's actually what we think of when we think of Jesus and being near to God. But, and there's nothing wrong with those cards, okay? But, but Hallmark Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. Hallmark Jesus is not the biblical Jesus. It's completely different. You have a think about that. You, remember I, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah sees the Lord and, uh, and he sees the, the angels in the presence. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple and he sees the, he sees the angelic beings and they're, they're, they've got six wings and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what's Isaiah's reaction when he sees this in Isaiah chapter 6, he feels like he's coming apart at the seams. It's like, woe is me, for I have seen the Lord. He feels like he's being ripped apart. He's absolutely petrified. Moses wanted to see God's glory. And God says to Moses, if you see me, Moses, I'll kill you. You can't look at my face and live. God is holy. The borders from Peace College, you got this last week in a really profound way when we talked about the tabernacle, when we talked about all the intricate details of Leviticus and Exodus 28 to 39, all those intricate details, remember, that were there to actually protect God's people from a holy God. You can't just waltz up into the presence of God and live. So Isaiah trembles. Moses is told, you can't just see me. I'll kill you. That Such is my holiness and righteousness. And we know that from ourselves because people, people have a very strong reaction to the holy. Very strong reaction to the holy. You ever think about your own life? You ever think about being in church? You ever think about that whole, that whole saying as if I walk through the doors, the church is going to fall in? You've heard it. You've seen it. You've known people like it. Maybe you. In one sense, people are in awe of the holy in awe of it. They're fascinated by it. They're drawn to it. They want to know more about it. This holiness, it's kind of attractive. And then in another sense, they fear it. They hate it. They, they don't want to be close to it because they feel like they get burnt by it and so they, they push away. And so you hear people say things when they, they hear the Bible read and they say, I don't want a God who's just. I don't want a, a God whose uh, wrath is poured out against sin. I don't want a God who... who who has to um, be crucified in order to save people. That's not the kind of God I want. I want Hallmark Jesus. Give me Hallmark Jesus. Give me, give me stained glass windows and sunbeams and warm fuzzy feelings. Do you want the real thing or not? Do you want Hallmark Jesus or do you want the real Jesus? Because he is holy. And Peter's response in Luke chapter 5 was, Go away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. Being near to Jesus, who is the Son of God, who is holy, Peter felt the conflict, he felt the discomfort. 
Because God is like a storm on a lake. He is like a storm on a lake. You think of a big storm on the water, on the lake, it stirs up the water, all the stuff off the bottom starts to cloud up the water. That's what happens. That's what happens to people when they come into the presence of a holy God. Except it's not a storm on a lake anymore, it's a storm in our hearts. And the stuff deep down in our hearts gets stirred up and it comes up to the surface level because God doesn't want to leave us where we are. He wants to deal with the sin like Pastor Steve was saying at the time of confession. He brings this stuff up. You come into the presence of a holy, it's uncomfortable. He brings up the stuff from the deep and it comes to the surface and you feel the conflict, you feel the uneasiness because God wants to save, he wants to redeem, he wants to deal with the, with the, the cloudiness and the mess and clean and forgive. That's what God does. stirs up things and he's very different to the hallmark Jesus with the stained glass window and the sunbeams. But that's, that's Peter of Luke 5. Go away from me, Jesus. I'm all stirred up. So what made Peter the Peter of John 21? What made Peter the Peter of John 21? Peter's now spent three years following Jesus as a disciple. Three years with him. He's there as his master is held before the high priests, as he's beaten, spat on, flogged. Peter was there and what did he do? He denied him three times. He denied Jesus. And on that third time you remember in the scriptures, I don't know the man and his eyes lock with Jesus and Jesus looks at him. He's just denied him for the third time. The cock crows. How is Peter feeling after that? Because Peter hasn't seen Jesus since he denied him three times. And now in John 21, he hasn't seen him since he denied him, since he sinned so boldly. And knowing this, here's the point, knowing this, that he sinned against Jesus so badly, denied him publicly three times, eyes met across the room, what is it that makes Peter in John 21, instead of say, go away from me, Lord, to bolt towards Jesus Christ? It's not as if he's pure and clean and holy. He's a sinful guy and he knows it. Why now does he run to Jesus? Why does he run into his arms like a, like a madman? I mean, in Luke 5, he nearly jumped out of the boat to walk on water to, to get out of Jesus' presence. Now, in John 21, he wraps his outer garment around himself and he jumps into the water and he makes this beeline for Jesus. Why is his followership, why is his discipleship so different now? Friends, the answer is so simple and so profound. Peter makes a beeline, a bolt for Jesus Christ in his sinful, messy, murky, stirred up condition because now he understands the gospel. He understands what grace means. He understands what the death of a saviour means on a cross. He understands that all his sins were nailed to Jesus on the cross. This is what he understands. And for you guys who we met with over 18 months, some of you a bit less than that, this is what we want you to know. This is what we wanted you to understand. This is why we exhorted. This is why we taught. This is why we 
for different Bible stories. This is why we had quiz bowls. This is why we had the weakest think, Bible time, a small group time, highs, lows, everything that we did, whether it was here at Trinity or at Peace College, everything we did was geared towards you having that, that penny drop like Simon Peter that you would understand grace, that you would understand the gospel, that you would understand that you can make a beeline, a bolt into the arms, the saving arms of Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Saviour. This is why we do this. Not that you would graduate or have a wonderful ceremony, but that you would know Jesus Christ, that you would know Christ who suffered as a sacrifice of atonement for your sins, that you would know forgiveness and life in his name. This is why we do it. It's the only reason why we do it, that you would know that. And not only you, but all of you and me, that we would know grace. You know, Old Testament Israel, they drew near to God but only the high priest ever went right in. The great high priest Jesus Christ went into the presence of God and he laid himself down on the altar for Peter's sins and for all of our sins. And what we see in Luke 5 and John 21, we see the change that Peter has grasped the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. He gets the death and he gets the resurrection. He gets what Jesus has done, has united united us, but... United Peter, you, me, all you confirmees, all of us united to Jesus Christ. You are not near the Lord. It is not enough to be near Jesus Christ. God calls you to be in him. Come in, be in me, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, not near to Christ, in me. So that in me, through the cross, through the death and resurrection, through baptism, going down, being buried with Christ, and being raised with him, that you are united to him once and for all forever and you are drawn into the very life of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. You are protected in there. No evil can get in there, it gets burnt. Can't move, can't penetrate the holiness of God who holds you safe in his arms, all of God's people. In Christ, near is not enough. In, I want you in me. I want a marriage relationship with you. We are going to be so one that you are going to participate and be in the life of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And the effect of this transforming grace is that now all of our sins do not make us go, oh, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinner. But that we now are driven to Jesus because we understand grace. We are saved completely, not by any amount of morality, not by any amount of prayer or obedience or signs of commitment, but by grace. Pastor Noel Jew said at Scandalous Grace, the amazing thing about grace is that it's always amazing. So friends, Jesus doesn't call you near him. Through faith in Christ, you're brought into the very life of the triune God and that happens out of pure grace. And grace doesn't look for rational reasons, it doesn't look for motivations. What's my motivation to follow Jesus? It doesn't look for that. Grace just, faith faith, uh, that comes through grace just acts. And that's why Martin Luther, is all, all throughout his writing, says a real and living faith actually does what needs to be done before it's even asked why it needs to do it. It just does it. It's not looking for motivations. It's not looking for the why. It happens out of pure grace. Because you said so, Lord, is enough. And it doesn't seek out Jesus as an advisor but as Lord and Saviour because he's the authority. And so we know, and I'm closing now, we know that We all make mistakes, we all mess up, 
That's actually life as a Christian. We're not perfect. But in Christ we make a beeline to Jesus like Peter because we have a gracious God. We don't operate out of guilt. We don't operate because we feel challenged to achieve anything. We don't operate according to the flesh but according to the Spirit because Jesus says so is wonderful enough and because we know in him there's no safer place for us to be and to live in the entire cosmos than in Christ, in him, in the life of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's where you live, by faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Holy God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we thank you that by grace you don't call us just to be near you, but you call us to be in you, in your very life, safe with you in Christ. We thank you for your word to us today. We pray, Heavenly Father, that no matter where we're at in life, no matter where our conscience sits, that we wouldn't feel like we'd be burnt by your holiness, that we would come in you, that we would believe in your name and have life in you, that we would run into your arms because no matter what's going on in our lives, because we understand grace, that you don't desire to harm us, but to protect us, to forgive us, to cleanse us, purify us and redeem us through your holy and precious blood. So, Father, we thank you for amazing grace and we pray that you would continue to be at work in our lives. If we're uncomfortable, Lord, if we're stirred up, help us to deal with what needs to be dealt with and help us to receive your gift of faith and to know the glory and the safety and the joy of eternal life with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, may the peace of God which surpasses all human understanding guard your hearts and your minds and keep them safe in Christ Jesus.